0: It's the Perry and Shana podcast on the real-life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission
1: to heal the world. Maybe you're wondering if what's happening in Israel has anything to do with end times prophecy. It's a fair question, a fair thought. A friend messaged me on Facebook and asked, Is this the Ezekiel 38 war?
2: (laughs) Honestly, I'm reading through Ezekiel right now just in my regular reading plan, and I'm not going to lie, I've definitely, it's caught my attention. I've thought, whoa, this looks kind Mm -hmm. of familiar.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so she asks, is this the Ezekiel 38 war where Israel has no help, they have Help right now, but as a Middle Eastern citizen says, if the U.S. finds itself not able to help any longer, the Jewish people will be on their own, as has been written by scribes thousands of years ago. She says, no one will be helping them. A well-read history and scripture buff says it could be. Now, I read Ezekiel 38 several times yesterday, and I can't see in that chapter where no one is helping Israel. So, maybe that's somewhere else. But anyway, some background for Ezekiel 38. It's about this mysterious ruler Gog and his nation called Magog. And Gog gathers a bunch of nations and while Israel is at rest attacks them. And scholars see this as as really a kind of a end-end times type of event, far future event. Don't know how close we are to that, and they really have no idea for the most part, who Gog and Magog are. Hmm. So my response to my friend's question, is this the Ezekiel 38 war? I don't know. I don't think it is. It's probably not. But if it is, it doesn't bode well for those who attack. And again, Ezekiel 38, it's a bunch of nations, a ton of different nations attacking Israel, not just one or two. But it doesn't bode well in Ezekiel 38 if you read it for yourself. Those who attack are destroyed. The Lord overtakes all the enemies who've come against Israel and he destroys them. Israel saved, nations destroyed, end of story. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) Yeah.
2: God finishes it off in the end.
1: Yeah. So, you know, two important things. I think, to keep in mind as we move closer to Jesus' return, whether that's tomorrow or it's in 500 years, because we don't know. In Matthew 24, 14, I think this is really important. Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, to all ethnic people groups, and then the end will come. So there seems to be this condition of getting the gospel to every people group before Jesus will come. And I know that there are sixteen hundred unengaged people groups left in the world right now. These are groups that have not been that they've not been engaged at all with the gospel. You know, there's no intention going on right now to reach these people groups. Sixteen hundred of them Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, tribal, you know, and some of them are in the millions. Mm-hmm. And so if if the condition of Jesus' return is the gospel getting to all the nations, then we've got some time. And then in Romans eleven twenty six, 26, Paul says this, all Israel will be saved. That's an amazing statement. Mm-hmm. That's one of those where you go, hmm, I want to find out what that means. There are a few different views that scholars take on what this, you know, all Israel will be saved means. But the most probable, according to the ESV study Bible, is that, and this is exciting, as we get closer and closer to all the nations being reached, which means closer to Jesus coming, more and more Jewish people will embrace Jesus as Messiah. And this is some of what we see happening in Israel right now, is more Jewish people, especially 30 and under, are hearing the gospel for the first time. Like with one for Israel, we, we've had them on the show many times a few different people from one for Israel. And there are like 9 million Hebrew speakers in the world. And they have these Hebrew language videos, testimonies and teachings on the Hebrew scriptures. And it's just, it's being binge watched mm-hmm. by these 9 million Hebrew speakers. It's been watched over 50 million times. Wow,
2: that and, is amazing. And
1: you've got just 9 million Hebrew speakers. So I know Dr. Eris Sorov said, Most of the people who are watching these, binge-watching these, are are under 30, and they're saying, why have the rabbis kept this from us for Mm -hmm. so long? Why have they hidden this from us for so long? So, I don't know if this is the Ezekiel 38 war. I don't think so. I obviously don't know when the Lord's returning. I do know there are 1,600 unengaged people groups that still need to be reached, the amazing thing about that is that we know who they are. We know Mm -hmm. where they live. We know what their languages are. And so we have, we have this knowledge and, and there are plans to, to send people to these groups within, I mean, a few years. And so when I look at all this, my heart isn't troubled. I'm not fearful. What I think is that it's just a great time to be alive. What an opportunity to be alive Mm -hmm. at this time in history where you know we see the people groups that still need to be reached we know where they are we can say lord here am i send me people are saying yes send me and i just think it's a great time
2: so i was on a trip with my daughter to california and our flight attendant was having some fun and she was you know going through the standard rules of flight and at one point she said Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. If you are traveling with a child, please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting your child. If you are traveling with more than one child, select the one with the most potential, assist him or her with their mask, and work your way down from there.
1: That was really good. You should be a flight attendant.
2: (laughs) Oh, so funny. We got a chuckle out of that one. (laughs) But why do they advise you to put your mask over your own mouth before assisting others? Well, it's pretty obvious. If you pass out because you don't have oxygen, you're just not going to be any help to anybody. Makes sense if you're on a plane. Yep. But in my life, honestly, when the needs of other people arise, this is what comes to mind for me. I think give generously serve selflessly, you know, what you did for the least of these you did for me. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve for the greatest love of all is the love that sacrifices all. Mm -hmm. I want to be like Jesus to the people around me. I want to serve them. I want to love them with everything I've got. I want to, I want to give myself so that others have what they need.
1: And everything you mentioned here is what it looks like to walk worthy of the Lord. You know, these are, these are, this is our calling.
2: Right. So here's my question. I mean, does this put us in a conundrum as Christians? Like, do the principles of putting on your own mask before assisting others, does that apply to Christ followers? Hmm. Curious. Hmm. Just think about this. There, when my kids were little, this was some years ago, but the physical demands were so great. I was exhausted. And one day... I saw this in my mind's eye and I believe it was from the Lord. It was Jesus standing in front of me and he had his hands up and his arms extended towards me. It's like he was inviting me to come to him. And as I started walking towards him and everything else was white. <laughs> like there's no context. It's not like we were in the mountains or we were you no, know, just all white. Jesus standing in front of me. But as I started walking towards him, there were distractions on either side of me that was just kind of like trying to pull my attention away from Jesus and take my eyes off of him to the thing. And the first thing was like the phone ringing, you know, just somebody needs you. And I had that, oh, you know, I got to respond feeling. Sure, But I didn't. I kept my eyes on Jesus and I kept walking. And then it was my laptop and my inbox was full and there were all these needs and things that I needed to respond to. And I was like, nope, I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. But as I got closer to him, the things that were vying for my attention, if you will, mm. were more and more important to me. So I get really close to Jesus and my family is there. And and they were little, mind you, but Dan was kind of like on his haunches, you know, down low by our toddler haven at that time. And she started to kind of like toddle towards me. And Dan, you know, was smiling really big and he was looking at me, but he just kind of like gently pulled her back. And I'm telling you, it was... I had my eyes fixed on Jesus but I'm seeing this in my peripheral vision and everything in me wanted to reach towards my daughter and pick up my daughter and and even the way that Dan responded it's like no 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 let mommy go to Jesus let her keep her eyes on Jesus and keep walking towards Jesus and that was it. Mm-hmm. And I just really felt like the message to my heart from the Lord was I understand there are lots of things like really important things that are pulling for your attention. I get it. Keep your eyes on me. Spend time with me. Cling to me. Abide in me. And all of those things, I'm going to have you be what you need. Mm -hmm. All those things are going to be taken care of as you keep your eyes fixed on me.
1: Yeah, it just reminds me that so Jesus that, you know, he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened by life. Take my yoke on me, my teaching on you yeah, uh, and learn of me for I'm gentle and humble of heart. You know, that's just like, this is that verse worked out in, in a, whatever kind of thing you had a vision or right. uh, just a mind's eye picture or whatever it was, but it just perfectly expresses come to me first because we're just flesh and bone and we're temporary and We're contingent. Yeah, we're contingent. We need God more than the air we breathe.
2: That's so good. So, you know, back to my question, like, does this principle of putting your own oxygen mask on before helping others, does it apply to us as believers? I think, yeah, I think it does. I think that God wants to tend to your soul wellness and just like, you know, the oxygen for our physical bodies. It's absolutely necessary for us to pay attention to our own soul. Do you know what I mean? To make sure that we're being fed, that we're meeting with Jesus, that we're abiding in him, because it's from that place that we'll have what we need mm-hmm. to meet the needs around us. Good. And the needs are great. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So draw near to the heart of God today. It, it, let meeting with him and being near him be your oxygen.
1: I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times I get blindsided by life and, you know, we have enemies. We have a enemy, an arch enemy, uh, Satan and his minions, but also the enemy within me, you know, the sin that still lives in me. And then, you know, how we get into conflicts with people, even people who know Jesus, people who don't, who throw us a lot of shade. And there's just There's a lot of battles to fight Mm -hmm. and they come up unexpected. And, you know, and Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom was facing an enemy that came against them unexpectedly. And the King Jehoshaphat, he just said, I don't know what to do, Lord, but we look to you. And so God spoke through one of his prophets about this battle that was that was coming at him. And he said, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. God and face them, and the Lord will be with you. And this is the time where the Lord instructed them to send out the worship leaders mm-hmm. in the front. Thank you very much. <laughs> just because I write songs and leave worship, I gotta be in the front lines.
2: Yeah. Come on, man.
1: But the worshipers went out front and they were singing praise to the Lord. The Lord is good, his love lasts forever. The Lord is good, his love lasts forever. And there was a there was a power in that. Mm-hmm. There's a power in worship.
2: Here's the thing. I think so often when it comes to the battles of life that we have to fight that we think I just am not sure that I have what it takes. I think that's where we go wrong, (laughs) focusing on what we have.
1: Yeah, we don't have what it takes.
2: Right. You know what I mean? But when we shift our confidence not to what we are capable of, but we shift our confidence to who God is, and we go, you know what? My God is a faithful God. You've you've got an entire Bible full of stories of the faithfulness of God. He's faithful. Yes. He's faithful. And he— you know exodus ten ten right like you need only to be still the lord will fight for you like the battle belongs to the lord and the more that we recognize how much he loves us and that he is fighting on our behalf i think the more the more we shift the weight from all my confidence being in me to all my confidence being in god and who he is
1: yeah it's an opportunity when we do face something overwhelming to make that decision, am I going to try to do this on my own? Am I going to try to figure this out on my own, mm-hmm. or am I going to go to God in prayer? There's times I come home from work and I'm just I'm just so weary from the day. You know, it's a long day, and just even normal stuff. And I'll sit down and I I want to scroll through Google News because Google News gives me everything I want, like Steph Curry and Michigan football <laughs> and all that stuff. But instead, I will choose to go to Lectio 365 Mm. devotional, Mm -hmm. and I'll do the evening portion. And I can't tell you how that choice that I don't really feel like making is always the best choice. And you hear those scriptures and it just immediately sometimes, just last week, it just completely changed my perspective within moments, you Mm. know, because I came home and I said, Teresa, she asked me how my day went and I just, ugh, you -hmm. know. And I went in the sunroom and I read that devotional and I came back out and I said, I just had some oranges and read scripture. I'm feeling great.
2: (laughs) I'm full of vitamin C and Holy Spirit. So let's do this thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: So the Lord says, You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, Mm -hmm. stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them, and the Lord will be with you. But we need to rely on Him.
2: I love the book of James. I love how blunt James is. And you know, when I think about it, like my blunt friends, like my daughter Eden is really blunt. She just has a way of not mincing words and just getting right to the point. And I appreciate that. I love that about her. And I love that about James.
1: We did a study on the book of James led by Francis Chan from right now media. Yeah. And the two together were, were good, but you know, Francis has that kind of whiny thing going on. You guys like, I mean, really it's saying this. Do you not realize? Okay. That's (laughs) my Francis Chan.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so funny. I, my son-in-law, Adores Francis Chan and as do I. Like I love his stuff. But I made a comment to my son in law at one point about the fact that I love learning from Francis Chan, but he sounds a little bit whiny. Yep. And then I had to repent. I was like, I'm so sorry. He's Uh-oh. got incredible things to say. I mean, I have learned so much from that man and I'm grateful for his wisdom.
1: I think it's entertaining. You yeah. Know, I mean, I learn a lot from him, but just the way he talks is is compelling and entertaining.
2: Yes. Anyway, I'm backing off. Okay, speaking of complaining. <laughs> <laughs> James actually goes after this big time. He, If you're a whiner, he's going to just nip that in the bud right away. So listen to this. James 1, 3, or I'll start with verse 2, actually. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I got to tell you, when I'm facing trials of many kinds— I don't like go right to joy. That's not my reaction to my circumstances.
1: not your default.
2: (laughs) No, I usually feel pretty justified in, you know, spending some time complaining about my circumstances if they're really rough. But this verse reminds us that God's refining our character through the trials and we're learning perseverance, which actually brings about maturity in us, which is awesome. You think about, you know, when our kids are whiny, we don't put up with that. Right? We're like, that's not okay. We're mm-hmm. not going to be whining. You need mm-hmm. to stop. And if it's not attractive in kids, how much less attractive for adults?
1: I remember me and Teresa were having anniversary dinner at Red Robin and there was this kid that was whining and I thought, you know what, if, and I said this to Teresa, I said, if, if that were Taylor when he was that boy's age, I'd take him outside. I wouldn't spank him. But I'd take them outside and say, we're going to go home. You want to go home? Because if you're going to keep this up, it's over.
2: Yeah. The stinky part of that is... might just keep it up and then you got to go home and that's a bummer yeah then i'd start whining as an adult (laughs) i didn't want to have to cook and now we have to leave robin (laughs) you would break
1: the no complaining rule.
2: (laughs) Right, right 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 which by the way it is november we are in the new no complaining rule so anyway here's my here's my challenge to you from james via me what if we just stopped complaining I mean, how would that impact your life? If you think about it for a minute, if you eliminated that one thing from your life, complaining, how would it change your life? If you stopped internally or even out loud, verbally, criticizing your spouse, if you stopped complaining about your kids and the choices they're making and the things they're doing, if you stopped complaining about your job, what if you, what if you stopped criticizing your own body? How about that? Give yourself a break or comparing yourself to other people. You just knocked it off. What if you stopped focusing on what you can't do and chose instead to shift your focus to the things that you can do? What if we stopped, what if I stopped complaining about the weather? Wouldn't that be great?
1: That would. I would really appreciate that. Stop.
2: <laughs> if it's going to be cold then I don't say, it. it's going to be so cold. <laughs> I just report, it's going to be cold today. So here's the thing. If you let your imagination go there, just picture yourself living that way without the complaints. Honestly, how would it change your relationships? How would it change kind of the ambiance in your home or would, your or your work?
1: It would change it a lot. It would it would change the atmosphere as we like to say. That's what we're
2: going to do. We're going to change up the atmosphere for the month of November. Up in and so here. up in here, yep. we're changing the atmosphere, inviting you to join us for the entire month of November, just starting today, right on through the rest of the month. Every time you feel compelled to start to talk about the negative things, just stop. You know, ask the Holy Spirit to catch you in this and stop and then Use that as an opportunity to start giving thanks instead.
1: So if I hear you complaining, can I say knock it off?
2: You can. In Jesus' name. You have to say in Jesus' name, otherwise I'm going to be mad and offended. (laughs) (laughs) You have to say knock it off in Jesus' name, and then I'll be like, oh, I must have been whiny right there. All right. Cool?
1: I'll take it as well.
2: All right. If you're in on the No Complaining Challenge, just text us.
1: You can just say, knock it off to me.
2: Okay. Knock it off. All right. Just like that? That
1: sounds really good. That'll make me (laughs) knock it
2: off. I'll pull out my mama Shauna and I'll give it to you if you start getting whiny. If you want to be in on this with us, just no complaining for the month of November. It's a challenge for you. Just text us and let us know that we're in this together. Text the word challenge to 800-968-8930. 800-968-8930. I believe that God is going to do something in us as we step into this together.
1: Shauna, how are huh? you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Thanks for asking.
1: <laughs> how are you really doing?
2: Oh, how am I doing real like deep, like underneath the the conversational, how are you?
1: Yeah, you know, when we say, how you doing? We usually say, yeah, fine. You know, yeah. we could be... Dying of stage four cancer, and we'll stay, you know, doing great. You know, so a friend just messaged me on Facebook and he said, You're typically sounding pretty good on the air, my friend. I think that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are the behind the scenes of your life going well? Mm. So that's a good question. Yeah. I messaged him back and I want to share with you what I shared with him. Thanks for caring enough to ask. That's big. God continues to show me how easily I find my identity in my performance and my achievements. Yet, as he's been showing me this, he has been working in my heart to reset my identity in being extravagantly loved by God.
2: Mm.
1: He's also been showing me deep sinful attitudes that I have toward people close to me. And even like with one of my kids, I I got hurt and I was holding an offense and we got together. And we had a face-to-face, and we worked through it, and it was beautiful. Yeah. So God's just showing me this stuff in my heart and leading me to confess it, to repent of it, and experience the deep-down cleansing of the blood of Jesus, which is giving me a new love for the people close to me. He's also teaching me not to freak out when I get blindsided, blindsided by life, like with my dad fracturing his hip and all that that could mean. And about the freaking out, it's not that I don't feel overwhelmed at times, but maybe that I'm taking less time between the freak out moment to the moment I reset my trust in him.
2: That's mm-hmm. good. You know,
1: that's baby steps. Yeah. But it depends on the day. So what I really appreciate about this friend is that he wanted to know how I was really doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that's something that we can do today. You know, who's the, who's the person that you're going to say, how you doing? And, and they give you the the pat answer and you can press a little further and see what's really going on. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We can be that for one another. You know what I mean? And I think what that does, the message that sends Perry is I see you. I Mm -hmm. see you. Yeah. And you matter.
1: And it may, it may make somebody feel uncomfortable. You can't really do this with a stranger necessarily, but maybe you can,
2: mm.
1: you know, you have to be, I think we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit right? and not be like prying and inquisitive in the sense of, man, I want to know all your stuff.
2: I think if love is leading the way yeah. that gets read in the question, yep. you know?
1: Yep. So today, as you move through your day and you ask people, how are they doing? you know don't just take their simple answer first look them in the eye and, and see if there might be something more and and they may be able to open up to you and and maybe you're you're going through it and somebody says how you doing how about you take take off the mask and really share your heart and see the life of god just break in in those moments
2: We have Jeff Kemp with us this morning. He is a former NFL quarterback. He's the author of Facing the Blitz, Three Strategies for Turning Trials into Triumphs. And he is the author of Receive, The Way of Jesus for Men, a brand new book that just came out today. That's what we're talking about today.
1: Jeff, so good to have you with us. And identity is a huge thing in your In your life and your ministry it's something that we don't achieve which is what we're told in our culture and what our own hearts tell us it's something we receive from the lord so talk about that and and maybe give us a good story that just really drives that point home
0: well we operate in a way that makes us try to improve the way we feel about ourselves Okay, that's what all humans do. And your identity is really what shapes that. There was a little boy I was coaching in football. And most of the dads, after practice, got out of the car, came on the field, put their hand on their kid's shoulder, and played catch with him and brought him back to the car. One dad just got out of the car, didn't even leave the parking lot and yelled, hey, doofus, mm. get over here. Mm. Um, oh my gosh, my heart sank. I wanted to go punch him, but I, I didn't. I just doubled down on building that boy up because I said, coaches, it's our job to give him confidence in his identity. Well, you can also go overboard and have an inflated identity that's all about performance and achievement and greatness and fame and how many people are following me on Instagram and sports can do that. Andre Agassi's dad was a great encourager of athletic success and it worked. And Andre became a superstar tennis player uh, uh, to one of the top players in the world. Um, But he had this long flowing hair. It was part of his image as a huge success, this blonde hair. And he started going bald. And so he kept his image by getting a wig that supported the image of the long blonde haired athletic stud. In fact, he had an advertising campaign with a Canon camera called image is everything. Well, actually, image ended up being nothing because one day he took a shower early in the day, his his, uh, hair, his um, hairpiece got damaged, and he was worried about it during a match. And he was so worried about his image that he ended up messing up the match and losing. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Andre scrapped it, uh, became a great player and played bald, okay, who he really was. But it just illustrates that if we're chasing a false image, we're not secure. We're not clear. Even success won't satisfy. And I know a lot of insecure, successful people. you got to receive your identity. And, you know, remember Gideon was that scared 19-year-old guy in the Bible and the story. He was going to be a general someday, but he was hiding from the Midianites. Well, before he was a superstar, that's when the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Gideon, the Lord is with you. You're a great and valiant warrior. You're a mighty man of valor.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: God spoke his identity into him before he was behaving that way. And we need to receive our identity as sons of a father or daughters of a father who is perfect and gave us the perfect sacrifice and credit for Jesus's righteousness. And he can smile on you even when you've been messing up sinning the last week. Mm -hmm. And if you live from your identity, you will start to change and drop those habits of sin. And you can focus more on the works of God. Than the works of impressing men. Remember, the Bible says that fear of man and trying to impress people leads to a trap. But trusting God will lead you in the right path, keeps you safe. And
2: the first step So identity
0: yeah. is ab- absolute central.
2: And the first step is to receive your identity from Christ ourselves, but then also to recognize that you know the words that we speak have great power. So the guy who was saying, Hey, doofus. You know what I mean? He could change. Oh, yeah. He could change today. He could change from "Hey, doofus!" to you know, starting to speak life and starting to speak truth, starting to do the Gideon speech to his son today. Yeah, so Gideon, if that's our my, story, we can change.
0: My dad gave me the Gideon speech. He said, "Hey, Jeff, remember, you're a Kemp. Be a leader. You're a Kemp. Be a leader." He always trained me that I was to be a leader. Now, I took too much of that in a performance mentality, but uh, I have a guy that was a construction manager um he owned a company and he put this guy that had been in prison and arrested a few times had a drinking problem he was a great carpenter though put him in charge of a project the guy led the project his name was chuck did a great job and my friend don the owner of the business knew that he was fatherless and he shook his hand after the job and said well done on time beautiful craftsmanship i'm really proud of you that was the performance stuff then he then he looked up in his eyes and he said but chuck you're a good man. And this six foot three guy started to ball. Hmm. And Don put his arms around him and hugged him. And like a little boy, he was receiving for the first time his identity that he has the potential to be good. He wasn't yet good in the way he treated women, in the way he controlled himself. But he was starting to transform because someone called him out by his identity and he started to receive it. That's the key. Receiving, not achieving. Live from your identity, not for it. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.